0: Uh, First time with us, my name is Andrew, I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, We were intending to be in Proverbs 5 this week, but my voice started really giving out about Friday night, and because the content of that text uh, decided it would be best if my voice didn't give out right in the middle of uh, a very mature text. So we'll be there next week, parental warning, Uh, there's for sure mature content there you can read ahead. Uh, I make it my aim not to be crass, uh, to be classy as we address those kinds of topics, but just in case your kids are in the room, uh, go ahead and be the parent and look ahead and say, yes, is this something I want my my child in the room when we're discussing, or is that something we're going to do at home? So you're the parent, I'm the preacher, you go ahead and look at that, um, and go ahead and email me if you have any questions. So today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll see if my voice holds, so I will pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day. We come before you as your people, um, not just anticipating that you're sort of passively listening to what's happening, uh, but that, Jesus, you are present with us, that your word is open, and though my voice uh, is just the instrument and, and may even give way, God, that we believe when your word is open, you speak, that when your people are gathered, your spirit is here. Uh, And that we don't just come to, to, to hope that you passively listen to us, but know that you're actively present with us, leading us, guiding us, and speaking to us in this time. So God, I do pray you would speak through your word today. You'd speak to me. You'd speak to us. And Lord, the things that are just of me, of my fallen human condition, that those things would be forgotten. But the things that are holy, the things that are eternal, the things that are of you, the things that are heavenly, God, today as we open your word uh, would stick, would move, uh, would give us life, uh, would move us closer to you. And so, Jesus, we pray you would help us uh, as we dig in here, Lord. God, we love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so we're in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And today we're going to try and ample, answer a very simple question that's what is the church? Um, This question is the question that, when I first was considering church planting, uh, had a great uh, friend just sit down and say, You need to be able to answer this question before you consider trying to be a part of starting a new church. Uh, And years ago, as he asked that question, I realized that it was actually a very difficult question for me to answer. What is a church? And I think it's something that if you're going to be a part of a church, and you're going to pour into a church, and you're going to be a part of what's happening in a church, you need to know what a church is. And I think sometimes, so often, we can even start with thinking about, well, you know, it's a church. A church is a people, not a building. Perhaps you've heard that before, and it's important. But what does that actually mean? And when you think about church, church is more than a sermon and more than kids ministry and more than some tactics or strategy or whatever we might do to try and make this thing happen, more than logistics. Um, Today, in fact, we're going to try and look at what is essential uh, to the church. From this text, what does it mean to be a church and what is essential to that? What is has Jesus done to make this thing this thing, knowing that regardless of where you're at, if you are part of a church? That loves Jesus and believes the Bible, something amazingly special is happening. Something amazingly special happens when we gather together. Something amazingly special happens as we do life together. Let's go ahead and start right here Ephesians chapter 3, or part Ephesians chapter 1, starting verse 3. Now I'm going to read a lot here in this, this uh, first spot because your English Bible is trying to break up a Greek sentence that is very, very long uh, because Paul is trying to say a lot of things. So we're in a Pauline letter. It's a Paul letter starting in 3. I'll read the whole thing and then we'll take it apart. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. One sentence, and it's a long one, even in Greek. This first word, which is great, you intro with a very long sentence, and then you just stop at the first word and park there for a minute. This word blessed, this word blessed is special because it's only ever used in the New Testament in reference to God. Now, it's related to these other two words, blessed, but when it's in this form, when it's an adjective, when it's a describing word, it's only ever used of God. So when we think blessed, don't just think blessed. Uh, a, A very appropriate way to translate this would be praised. Praised be God. Praise God. Praise God. Why? This thing that we're sitting, and I've said this before and we'll say it again, To be part of a local church is to be part of a miracle. There's a room full of testimonies here of people who are dead who God has made alive together with His Son. The the, the, the place that a church starts is not with, you know, what color of curtains should we have uh, that separate the pretend hallway from the place we sit and put the chairs? What should our website look like? Or, or, Or what should the music be like? It starts with Jesus and it starts with His praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. To be a church is to be a people who are focused around the glory of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why we exist as a people. Why is that? He's going to explain it to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ, in Jesus. If you are a Christian, you are... In Jesus if you've turned and put your faith in him regardless if this is the best day of your life or the worst day of your life you belong to God in the person of Jesus a church is not a church unless it's in Jesus blessed be the God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places This is the reality of the gospel. No gospel, no church. No gospel, no church. The good news of God is that we were dead and he made us alive. That we needed to be rescued uh, in all of our right doing for the wrong reasons. Everything we did so that we would think we are awesome. Everything we did so that we would think we are right. Everything we did to pat ourselves on the back. Every coat you gave so people would look at you and say, Hey, it's the guy who gives coats. Everything you give away, to say, oh, it's the guy who gives away soup. You're not giving away the cans of soup because people are hungry. You're giving away the cans of soup so people would say, hey, it's the guy who gives away the cans of soup. So you can feel valuable, so you can feel good, so you can feel accepted. So someone can give you a thumbs up on Facebook because you brought a coat to something. What's amazing about the freedom of the gospel in terms of the good things we do for the wrong reasons is because Jesus saves us and redeems us from that. We actually get to continue to do those, but we do those things as a free response to the reality that Jesus Christ has given us everything. What's he blessed us with? Everything in the spiritual places. We get to give freely in response to the fact that if you are a Christian, you have everything in Jesus, not because you did anything to earn it, but because Jesus did everything to save you from yourself and give you life. We respond to that. Right? If he's given you everything, namely life, Man, how easy is it to give away a coat? How how easy is it to give away a can of soup compared to the glory and the wonder of God? Now, he didn't just save us, the gospel. He didn't just save us from right things for the wrong reasons. He also saved us from all our wiling out, all our rebellion, everything we did to hurt God, to hurt others, everything we did to displace Jesus from his right place in the center of the universe. This is sin. We find something to worship, something to enjoy, something to value, and we value or enjoy that thing more than the God of the universe who made that thing for his glory, right? Whatever it is, maybe it's your job. Your job's your thing. And and you put that thing, this is where you get your purpose, your meaning, your identity, a great test. Can you live without your job? And lots of people are saying, I sure can not live without my job, right? I come from a blue-collar family. You mean I don't have to have my job anymore? Yes, I'm in. Right, you got to work hard. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't like your job. I'm just saying if your job is the place that if you didn't have your job, if you had to have a different job, you wouldn't even know who you are anymore. Your job is the thing that you're enjoying more than anything else, and it is the center of your life, and in the center of your life belongs Jesus, and you've displaced Jesus and made your job God, and if you think about that for just a second, your job's not a very good God. Anything can go there. Anything's the thing that you enjoy. Anything's the thing you live for. Anything's the thing that you cannot live without. That's what you put in that spot. So it's wiling out. It's idolatry. It's right things, wrong reasons. And Jesus has come and saved us from those things. But he hasn't just come and saved those things from us from those things. He's come and put us in Christ. Right? It's not just that He saved us from those things. He's actually given us something to live for and something greater and something grander than a job or a car or success or whiling out or partying or whatever it might be. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That Greek word is every, all, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Hear this, verse 4. Now mind you, for Paul, this is being said in one long breath. Even as he chose us in him... One of my least favorite things about the Bible we use, the ESV, is the he's are not the pronouns are not capitalized. It would be easier to track if all the uh, pronouns for God here were capitalized. Um, and I say this over and over and over and over and over again so that it will get burned in your brain and you'll remember it. Read your Bible slowly, especially when you get to a spot like this. Track with it. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the earth. Three pronouns. He, us, and him. He is God the Father. Him is Jesus Christ. And us is the church. What's interesting is that Paul doesn't just say, and this is true, mind you. Don't don't hear me wrong. He's not just got in view just you. He's got in view you and him. Just as a preacher, I can say, we, Jesus has saved us. That to be the church, to be the people of God, is not an individual sport. It's not an individual activity. There are individual aspects of that activity, but we together are the people of God. We together have something special in Christ as his people, not just as a bunch of his persons. However you would say the the singular, a bunch of separate individuals. uh, We are together the people of God. Now we scatter from here and you want to live your whole life as a living sacrifice and you get to worship God on your own own and you read your Bible for yourself you don't always have to do a Bible study but Paul has in view the church which is a people it's a people even as he chose us in him God chose us we did not choose him this is the extent of grace if it depended on you Hearing the gospel and saying, yes, that's an intellectually acceptable activity. Yeah, I'm I'm into that. I I could be into Jesus. I I could get in there. It seems to be the best of all the different options that I'm looking at. Then it's all of grace plus your decision to follow him. It's all a gift from God and the fact that you had to move. Uh, It it says in 1 John, it's not that that we loved him first, but that he loved us first. It's as the love of Christ is poured out in our hearts that we respond to who He is in all of His glory. How long ago did He make that choice? Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Genesis chapter 1. God the Father is creating. John 1.1 fills us in. He creates by the Son. We see there in Genesis 1, the Spirit's hovering over the face of the waters. The Trinity is present God makes humans. Let us make man in our own image. Plural, the Trinity creates humanity. Even in Genesis 1, it's right there. And before that, in his grace and mercy, knew he was going to create you and Anchor Church for his glory before the foundations of the earth. The good news here is what did you do to earn the love of God? Nothing. He did not select you because you're good or bad, for that matter, at anything. He's not looking for to put together the foosball team, the dream team. It's not because you were diligent in reading your Bible. It's not... Because you were doing good works. You're giving away cans of soup. He saved you when you were still against him. And there's nothing you did to earn it. But he moved and he sent his son. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That what? Mind you, all one breath. That we should be holy and blameless before him. How do you stand before God? Good stuff, bad stuff? Scales? Oh, you know. That guy's okay. He Kicked his dog yesterday, but, you know, he stopped for that person on the crosswalk. Cancels it out. Well, he cussed him out, but it was only under his breath. Cancel it out. At the end of your life, all of your stuff, is put on the scales and it's weighed out and you're justified by God because of the good or bad things you did. Nope. What makes you holy if you are a Christian is that you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and that he has made you clean. Which is vastly more durable than letting someone cross the street in front of you. That means that when you stand before God, He, being infinitely wise, knowing every wrong thing you've ever done, looks at you and says, Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. Forgiven. It's finished. You're His. Holy and blameless. How much blame? Blame Blameless. No blame. No blame before God because of Jesus Christ. No blame before God because Jesus Christ dying on the cross to save you from yourself. It was God's movement towards you, not your movement towards God that saved you. Why? In love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Where? Right here. In love, he predestined us for what purpose? That before the foundations of the earth thing, the purpose was adoption. As the people of God, we stand before God as sons and daughters of God most High. You belong to Jesus as part of His family. And because the gospel yesterday could have been the most sinful day of your life, if you're in Christ, He doesn't say, "Well, I'm done with you. That's not what parents do with their kids." It's not how it works. not how it works. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're His. You belong to God because of Jesus, the sons and daughters of God Most High. Because He loves you. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Why? According to the purpose of His will. He's got a plan. He's going to tell us about the plan. Verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace. Which with, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Okay, that's our one breath. Three, down, on, two, six. Okay? So the purpose of you meeting Jesus and knowing Him is what? To the praise of His glorious grace. That you would hear that you did nothing to earn His love and that He did it all. Why? To celebrate, to party, to be thankful, to respond, to turn to Him in joy. Enjoy. This is supposed to get us fired up for Him, right? Sometimes we feel like our Christian life is He saved us so that we could, and this is true, so that we could, how to say it? Sometimes we feel like He saved us. And then when we look at the cross, we see our whole life after that is ours to try and do uh, whatever we can to make him happy. Now, we get to do that in freedom, but not so that he'll love us. I want to do things that honor God. I want to do things that please God. I want to do things that God is excited about. You know what God's excited about? He's excited about you loving him. He's excited about you loving the church. He's excited about you loving the lost. Yes, excited. It says that when one person repents, there's a party in heaven. God is excited about these things. He's given us a life to live, to celebrate, to be overjoyed in who He is, to look at what He's done on our behalf and be stoked because this is amazing. The purpose of His will is the glory. You would enjoy Him and know Him and love Him and serve Him. You could be sitting here today and saying, what does God want me to do with the rest of my life? I don't know. if He wants you to buy some stocks or move, get a different job. I don't know. I know what He wants you to do is to praise His glorious name. That's what He wants you to do. In all those things, whatever it may be, I don't know. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, capital B beloved, Jesus. Now, hear this. Verse 7. In him we have redemption. You're redeemed. Whatever you were, you are no longer. Whatever ways you lived against him, rebelled against him. Before I knew him, I was very good at rebelling against him. I was the kid in high school who loved to make fun of Christians, to pick on them, and to try and take apart their arguments. He turned that around. Now I use the same skills, I think. You have to be the judge of how effective... I am at using those skills to praise His glorious name. It's ironic that I am a preacher, if you knew me in high school. It's ironic that the things that I used once that were against Him are now the things that I use for Him, and that is the purpose He has for all of us. That whatever you were, you're redeemed, you're new, you're not who you were, you are who you are in Christ Jesus. How? In him we have redemption because we tried really hard. In him we have redemption because we did the things that Christians are supposed to do. We do the things that Christians are supposed to do because of this. In him we have redemption through his blood. Jesus Christ bled and died so that you could live. The God of the universe came to earth, lived the life you should have lived, died the death we all ultimately deserve for our rebellion and for our sin. He drank the cup of God's wrath that you and I deserve. He dealt with God's justice so he could be just and the justifier so that you could stand before God. How? Holy and blameless. Why? So that you could be blessed in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. With every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly places. To the praise of His glorious grace. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Listen to this. The forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of all of your sins. Why? Because you made penance? Because you did hard things? You tried to pay God back for every wrong thing you ever did? Unfortunately, your debt is too high to ever pay Him back. No. According to the riches of His grace which He, I love this word, lavished upon us. As kids of the King, as God's people, the grace and the mercy and the blessings that you have received in Him have been lavished upon you. You're spoiled in a good way. Right? He pours His love out on you. God loves you in a way that it will never run out. You don't run out of chances. You don't screw up that last time, say, God, I'm sorry, and he says, well, tough. One too many times, kid. You screw up, you sin against God, you turn to God, and he says, you're forgiven. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again. The tank of God's love is not the gas tank, right? Right? It doesn't go down. He's infinitely God, infinitely loving, which means he's infinitely forgiving. And for you, Christian, he has no uh, point in which he runs out of love for you if you are in Christ. That's worth praising. I mean, this is stuff to sing about. Right? This is stuff to party about. This is stuff to respond by being generous to other people. This is stuff to respond by saying, hey man, have you ever met Jesus? Let me tell you about Him. You don't know God? Let me tell you about the lavish grace and mercy and life and celebration that is in knowing the one true only God of the universe, Jesus Christ, and He can be yours right now. This isn't, uh, what do we have to do To get you in the car, I mean Jesus, tonight. What do we have to do to close the deal? It's not. Is let me tell you about my God that I'm so excited that you would know his name is Jesus and he will change your life forever. You think you've got skeletons in the closet? First of all, he knows about them. Second of all, he'll forgive you for them. You think you've got some depth? He cannot reach down and redeem your wrong? You have something that is too nasty and too dark for God, you're wrong. God is so gracious to us in Christ, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Oh man, this next part's good. Making known to us the mystery of His will. Almost every time this word mystery appears, uh, you know, we think Sherlock Holmes, he's got the silly hat, I don't know where you get a hat like that, and he's got the magnifying glass, and he's trying to solve a mystery. It's a mystery to be solved. Uh, this word doesn't mean mystery to be solved. It means something that was tucked away that gets revealed. Okay. And almost every time this word is used in the New Testament, it's in, it's in reference to the New Covenant the new covenant that we have in Jesus, the new relation, the, way, the new way that God relates to His people because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the fact that the Holy Spirit has come and indwelt His people, that's new for us. I mean, I think we forget this so quickly. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You're, you're in Christ, and if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you, which means wherever you go, Uh, and Paul's going to make this point several times in the New Testament, God is present with you wherever you go. No matter where you go, God is present with you. No matter how lonely or alone or isolated you may feel, feelings count. Feelings are real. Feelings aren't always facts. It might feel like God is not present. But I believe his word, which says that he is. Now, sometimes we imagine what we think that presence should feel like, and maybe it doesn't manifest the way that we think it should feel. But the reality is, you are not alone. There is no prayer that you have that goes unheard, there is no action you do that goes uncared for, outside of God's view and out of his concern. That's lavish, by the way. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. His life we have through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus is his church and is his people, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This world's broken, right? Right? You disagree with me? We go outside and have a look. Things are not the way they ought to be, right? I'm not the way I ought to be. You're not the way you ought to be. The world's not the way it ought to be. Jesus is in the process of putting you and this world and all of creation back the way it ought to be. He's gonna wipe every tear from every eye. He's going to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. Sometimes we have this idea that heaven is the place we go. And it's kind of floaty, and we all get white robes, and we hang out. But if you read your Bible, all of your Bible, in fact, but specifically if you read the book of Revelation, it's very clear. If you read these chapters, uh, Romans chapter 8, it's very clear. God's actually putting this world that we live on now somehow back the way it's supposed to be. For how messed up, jacked up, and broken it is, he is still restoring it. That's our hope. How's he doing that? Through his son, Jesus. Oh, man. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, again, that chosen, called out before the foundations of the earth stuff. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So even though the world is broken, he is redeeming it, he is working in it, He takes the broken things in our life and makes them new. And he is at work in his creation, putting it back the way it ought to be. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. There's that praise word again. to The praise of what? Of his glory. In him, you, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. How do you know you get to go home to be with God forever when he puts this world back the way it's supposed to be? You're sealed. What's your ticket? Your ticket to the kingdom, your ticket that says that you belong to Jesus, the ticket that says you've been redeemed, the ticket that says that you have uh, had every spiritual blessing lavished upon you. Your ticket isn't a ticket. Your ticket is the person of the Holy Spirit who you are sealed with. This means when we're at war against our sin, we're not alone. Jesus, I need help. Please empower me. Help me to turn from this thing. Help me to move. He doesn't say, well, maybe tomorrow. Jesus, I want to be closer to you. I want to know you. Empower my prayer life. Help me read the Bible. Eh, maybe next week. I've got a busy, got a world to run here. I'm holding up the universe by the word of my power. No, you're sealed, the Spirit. <laughs> in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news about Jesus' His cross, burial, resurrection, forgiveness of sins, new life in Him, the good news, right, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, right? It's not just that we hear it, that we respond to it. Oh, the gospel, that sounds nice. We repent of our sin and we turn to Jesus. and We cry out, save me from myself. Make me whole. Make me live. And believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What is our inheritance? Jesus is our inheritance. The kingdom is our inheritance. Uh, we don't have kings in America, right? So sometimes when we hear kingdom. That sounds nice. Kingdom, yeah. Unicorns and... White castles and stuff. Kingdom, yeah. No, no. Kingdom is the rule and reign of Jesus over his particular people in his particular place, in his particular timing. There is no kingdom without the king. And the greatest thing we get in the kingdom is the king, the greatest thing we get is Jesus forever who is the guarantee of our inheritance and to incur possession of it, to the praise of his glory. There's that praise word again. (coughs) Excuse me. This is the essential reality of who we are in Jesus. Now, the things I've just said, you ever have a day where it doesn't feel like that? Yep, maybe it's just me. This is who you actually are in him. And not because of anything you've done, but everything that he's done. Now we have sort of our, for lack of a better word, I don't mean this uh, in the French philosophy. I mean it in the proper technical sense. We have our existential reality. That reality that doesn't feel as as much as the kingdom is as near as it actually is. And yet as the church, the more we turn to Jesus and the more that we live our lives in the power of the Spirit and dependent on His Word, the more that our essential reality becomes actual in our lives. The more we're dependent on His Word, the more we're dependent on His Spirit, the more we're turning from sin and turning from Him, the more we make our life about the praise of His glorious name, the more what's actually already true about us begins to manifest in our actual lives, actualizes. Now, the full actualization of our life, our essential life in the kingdom of Jesus comes when we go to be with Him forever. But I'm telling you that Jesus didn't just die to forgive you for your sins. He died to forgive you for your sins, which are numerous, but to give you life and life in abundance. This is kingdom living. This is Jesus living. This is celebratory life to the praise of God who's redeemed you from yourself. Now I think we resist this kind of doctrine about the church talking about the collective people. I mean if you're not a Christian you look at that I think one of the number one things that you would resist all this is say, yeah, that doesn't sound like the people of God to me necessarily. I look in there and I see people who are hypocrites, I see people being rude to each other, I see people who aren't living by what the Bible says. Welcome to sanctification. We are a people who are being changed, and this is becoming, this reality that we already have is becoming more and more real in our lives. But it's not because of our work, and it's not because of our spiritual push ups, and it's not because of our white knuckling. The fact that you can look around this room if you don't know him, and any one of us could stand up here, and we are not done yet. God is not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. But I could tell you how Jesus has radically changed my life, how he has made me new, how he's changed my desires, how he's changed my heart, how he's given me his spirit. He's given me a new life to live. And my hope is that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus could stand in the same place and have that same kind of powerful testimony and that we could all celebrate it because our life is about celebrating what he did on that cross and celebrating what he did in the resurrection and celebrating that right now as the church and the people of God that we have life. And it is a miracle. I think as Christians, we sort of don't, but when we don't believe this, we don't celebrate this truth, We don't celebrate that this is what Jesus has done. We tend towards a self-salvation project. We tend towards a mentality that says, I need to be a better person so that God will like me more. Friends, your sin is as far as the East is from the West, right? Not height, nor depth, nor power, nor principality could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You're on the A list if you're a Christian. So all of a sudden, my pursuit of God is not so that He will like me or that He will love me or that He will forgive me. My pursuit of God is based on the promise that when I draw near to God, He will draw near to me. That I want to live the life that Jesus has given me because it's already mine in Christ Jesus. When we don't do this together, when we don't see this as the church, it's because we don't believe that this thing is a team sport. Sport? Wrong word, right? Sometimes you run out of words. We think this is all about me all the time. Church is about Jesus all the time. A part about being a church is about helping other people, people who are Christians, follow Jesus and have them help you follow Jesus and help you live out this actual reality by preaching the gospel to your life, by walking with you in your distress, walking with you in the mess of your life, and walking with you and helping you follow Jesus and you're doing it for other people. I can't say this enough. I've said that a few times. That's not just Joe's job. That's not just my job. We're the people of God together. And it's a gift. Walking in God's community, walking in this kind of community, this becomes real, is real, and becomes more real, maybe that's the best way to put it, is essentially real, and becomes actualized in our lives, you get to love other people. and You get to be loved by other people. You get to serve other people. You get to be served by other people. You get to know other people. You get to be known by other people. You get to speak the truth into people's lives. And they get to speak the truth into your life. And that's Christian community to the praise and celebration of the name of Jesus. And as the people of God, we get to carry this message to our city. So what's the church? Note the definite article in every word I'm about to say. Okay? The church, there's one church. Right? There's local expressions of that church. The church are all the people of God who love Jesus, who believe his word, who are his disciples around our globe. Right? We are a local expression of that church, but in many ways what's true of them is true of us. So when I say the church, I don't mean, you know, this, us, right? Like, it's just us, nobody else, anywhere else. I'm not saying that. But the pe- the gospel people, the Jesus people, you and me, and the other Jesus people around our city, our region, or our world. But I do mean definite article. There is one blessed people. The church is the blessed. There is one blessed people the way that God's talking about blessing. There is one people who know Jesus, and that's the church. There is one people who know God through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not many paths up one mountain. It's one way, one truth, one life. His name is Jesus. The church is the chosen. God's appointed people that He's called out of humanity, not because of anything you've done, but everything His Son has done. One holy, blameless people. The church is the holy. The church is the blameless. The church is the predestined. The church is the adopted. He has one family. The church is the redeemed. The church is the forgiven. The church is the lavished upon. The church is those, the ones who have been let in in on the mystery. The church is the set of inheritors. The church are the sealed. And the church are the people who get to and can live for the praise, praise, praise and the glory of the name of Jesus. To celebrate the fact that that tomb is empty and he's alive. Someday you and I will get out of the grave and our tombs will be empty too. Someday you and I will be with Jesus forever, face to face, forever as his people. And that celebration starts right now. If you don't know Jesus, this is who he is. I implore you. I invite you. Come know him. Come be loved by him. Come be forgiven by him. Live. If you're a Christian... Are you living in this actual reality? Is your life marked by a life lived for the praise of His glorious name? Is your life lived and marked by the redemption that God's worked in your life, about the love He's poured out on you, about the spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing that's poured out on you? Does your life overflow with joy and celebration as the people who've been given life? Let's pray. God, help us to celebrate you, Lord. I just thank you that my voice held out. That's your grace and mercy to me. I pray, Lord God, that we would celebrate. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are known. Help us to respond by telling the truth about you to those who know you and the truth about you who do not know you. Help us to tell it to our children and to our friends and to our families, God, and help our lives, every element of our lives, be marked by the truth that we find in your word, that we live for a purpose, and that's to praise your glorious name. We live to enjoy you. We live to know you. We live to be known by you, and we live to help other people know you. Please, Holy Spirit, be with us. Fill us and move in this community. Help us to be light in the darkness and the light that comes from what Jesus has done and the fact that we respond to it with great joy, with a white-hot passion for your holy name, Jesus. God, we pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.